0: Welcome to closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. Today's guest is Mary Bergstrom. She is a writer, public speaker, and near death survivor. If you've ever had questions about what a near death experience feels like, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. Mary, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: So the near death experience, what were the circumstances leading up to the event? Was there anything that triggered it or did it just come up out of nowhere?
1: So I have a condition called spontaneous coronary artery dissection, and essentially what that means is that you can have a heart attack at any time, and there's no known cause and no cure. So I was actually in China living there for eight years and having a really great life. And I hadn't had any heart issues and no one was concerned about it. And I started feeling some tightness in my chest and I knew right away, I thought, oh no, this is a heart attack. So I was on a race to get to the hospital, to get to the taxi, to get to the hospital, to tell them what was going on. And I made it just in time and then I was hooked up to the machines and they were able to kind of get a read on everything and my husband was looking for a magazine and I was asking him to please distract me because I could feel this gravity that was like nothing that I'd ever felt before that felt like a gravity below the gravity that we know. And the entire way over to the hospital, I had just been really trying to focus and trying to stay as meditative as possible because I understood how serious what was happening. And so I imagined my grandfather's hands. He's my safe person. And I really just focused as much as I possibly could. And then I got to the hospital. They hooked me up to all of the machines. My husband was looking for a magazine. And that's when... the gravity took me over to the other side.
0: The gravity, were you able to discern that the gravity was something that is not normal under any circumstance?
1: I described to my doctors like I'm a mermaid and this is how my body works. I don't know if it works that way for anyone else. But for me, this gravity was, it was like nothing I had ever experienced before. And right away, I understood that I was on a pendulum and I was either going to be staying in this world or I was going to be swinging into the next.
0: Okay, so at that point, you basically crossed the veil, so to speak.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: What was that like?
1: That was really interesting because the last moment that I remember being alive, the machines were going crazy. My husband was complaining that there wasn't enough, there wasn't enough copy in People Magazine. <laughs> you know, I was having like a very human moment, you know, and, and the last thing that he said to me was, what are you doing to make the machines go crazy? I remember thinking, we're past that. And then, whew, Just like you said, the gravity that is beyond any gravity that I'll ever experience outside of that kind of a near death situation took me and I was in a really completely separate and beautiful place.
0: What did it look like? What were like the sensations and those type of things?
1: It looked like, so I was on a swing. You know, when you're on the swing and somebody has the two chains of the swing and is holding you back before they push you forward. So I was in that position. I was in that kind of like being held back position. And to my left was a little girl who was maybe six years old and she was swinging back and forth with her legs. And she was smiling and laughing and her hair was coming up in front of her and then going back. And she just looked like she was having the most amazing time. She was having a great time. And every time her legs would kick out, they would kick out into this gorgeous sunset that had like pink, orange, and purple. These colors that were just so vivid and dramatic and miraculous, but comforting at the same time. Below us was all white, but not all white, like a piece of paper white, just like,
0: like sand maybe?
1: No, like clouds, but not like a cloud, like, like an earth sized cloud
0: did the rest of it look like an earthly type place, but just more vivid? No. Hard to explain?
1: I think that the only thing that was earth-like was the notion of a swing, the notion of being on a swing set. That felt like a very human, relatable, familiar experience. The cloud being above a cloud, that's not normal. The colors of that sunset, that's not normal. And then to the left, to my like 10 o'clock, From the girl was this huge white light, huge, huge white light. I mean, everything in this space is so much bigger and brighter and more vast than anything else I'd ever experienced before.
0: Was the light a ball of energy or what kind of shape did it have?
1: It was like a white, fuzzy portal, but it was so huge. It wasn't like a door. I appreciate the specificity of your questions because it's making me really think about how would I describe it specifically. It felt more like a planetary passageway.
0: I've been told these things are very hard to describe. So
1: you know what? You're right. (laughs) It's like a, a white ball of energy. That had like a diffuser on and the size of it was like a different planet. So it would be like looking at the sun, but the sun itself is white, brighter and bigger or closer up than you've ever seen the sun before.
0: Did you see anyone else besides the little girl? Were there more people or was that it?
1: I feel like my grandfather was there. I feel like he was the one was holding me back. He and I had a really special relationship. And on the day that he passed, at the time that he passed, I had a dream about him and he was in his bed in the nursing home and he was singing to me and telling me that everything would be okay. So it doesn't surprise me that in my time of need that he would be there and we'd be having that communication.
0: So you had a a connection with him. So the little girl, the grandfather, anyone else or any other beings? No. What happened after that when you initially went into this space?
1: It was so interesting because I felt like I was trying to understand the space because it, it was so completely foreign to me. And right away, I understood that I wasn't, all the things that I've been concerned about before, you know, being concerned that, oh my goodness, I might die in front of my husband. Oh my goodness. What about my two beautiful kids at home? What about, you know, my work? What about my friends? I wasn't thinking about any of that anymore. That all felt very irrelevant. And I don't think that is in a glib way. I think it it just more was like, I had a deeper understanding or a higher understanding that they would be fine, that they were fine, that I was fine, that everything was as it was meant to be. And so there's just this this tremendous relief that I don't think that you know is possible until you see and feel that place.
0: Right, which makes it that much harder to explain to somebody unless they've been there. I've heard that several times, which... I think gives us a lot to look forward to. So when you were there, obviously you got an impression of the afterlife. Did that change your views on what you thought about the afterlife before perhaps even reincarnation?
1: Well, I think that, you know, the thing that really has stuck with me the most is just how safe a space that was and how safe a space I believe that that will be again. So all of the things that we're experiencing on this planet about war and destruction and racism and homophobia and how we really try to categorize the differences on a soul level. We really are all the same. And I believe that that will all be, that will all be treated that way in the afterlife. So that's been really beautiful for me. I didn't necessarily, I thought that I would feel more because I believe in reincarnation. So I thought that I would feel more like this is what would come next after that, I didn't feel that I felt like the white light was something so powerful. And it was above my pay grade. Like I understood that I was not be able to go into that space unless someone guided me. So I think that if and I thought about this a lot, I think the girl may have been there just as a way to kind of keep me comfortable and to keep me calm while that decision was being made or while that action was being taken i still believe in reincarnation but i also believe that what comes after death is big and grandiose and stupendous enough as it is
0: there are common things that we hear a lot about with the near death experiences but no two are really like identical when people go into that space It sometimes changes their view on what they thought about before, religiously or otherwise. Was there a life review of any sort, or did that not occur?
1: That did not occur. I really felt like, at least in my experience, it was so much about just a general, overall, completely encompassing feeling of love and acceptance. And somehow in that moment, I felt like all of the history that had gone on in the world All of the things that I had maybe had some doubts about or some regrets about or some misgivings about, they all, in the bigger scheme of things, made perfect sense. So I have been gifted with a larger feeling of acceptance than I've ever had before. I don't feel like I need to categorize this idea is better than that idea or this past is not as good as this future. I feel like I just have a a really beautiful sense of forgiveness and completion.
0: When people say everything happens for a reason, did that make a little bit more sense once you've had that experience?
1: Yeah, although I would say it's even bigger than that. It felt like it's not necessarily like this plus this equals this, although there is a little bit of that. But it's more just like the afterlife to me feels like such a bigger, more accepting, more loving space, I think that this is a place where we try out being human, we try to be better humans, and we understand that on the other side, there's a place to go that is like a relief from all of those questions and misgivings and judgments.
0: Is it fair to say that after this experience, I know that none of us are really looking forward to death, but is your fear reduced as a result of the experience?
1: Totally, totally. I don't have a fear of death at all. I think that before, after I experienced this, I really did not feel a fear of death. And I did not want to come back. When I did come back, my doctor was trying to take care of me and, you know, say, Mary, are you with us? Are you okay? And I heard my husband crying and I'm like, Oh my gosh, you have to deal. You have to handle him. He needs help. And she was really adamant that I was the one that needed help. (laughs) I've been in a great spot. You know, you're a doctor, you're supposed to know that's your patient. So I didn't feel like I'd missed out on anything. And I don't, I still don't feel like I'm afraid of dying. I think that when I had the near death experience, I felt a sense of urgency around making sure that my family would be okay. You know, when I passed and making sure that things that I needed to Clean up and get organized for myself. And that felt really important to me. And then also building my kids up and building my partner up so that if something happened, they would have the strength and the skills and the, you know, under the skin knowledge that they were loved and cared for, that they could take that with them. And now I've had enough time to do that and I've really been able, been so lucky to be able to prioritize those things. So there's nothing that I'm worried about or afraid of now.
0: Pretty incredible. That's why I think these experiences are really important for people to understand what really happens. So at what moment during your experience, did you know that you're going to come back?
1: When it already happened, I felt a swing because, and I initially thought I was on the swing being held back. And I initially thought, okay, I'm going to be swinging forward towards the white light you know i was so excited because i was going to get to swing forward like she was and i swung forward and right back into my body
0: so it's kind of hard to tell like how long it took because time in this space at least what's reported is it's really hard to say did it take five minutes or did it take five hours did you have any inkling of that or not really
1: 10 seconds That's how long I was gone for. And then I I came back and I had the paddles on my chest. And that was my first understanding that I wasn't in that magical space anymore because I felt pain. And I knew that on the other side, on the other level, I wouldn't have felt pain.
0: So now you're back and you're in the hospital room and you're on your way to recovery and so on. What were the next few days like? Did you explain it right away or did you keep it to yourself?
1: They were really intense because we just didn't know if I was going to have another heart attack. So I think that we all felt like I was walking very gingerly on the surface of the earth and we needed to make sure that that I stayed here. I felt like I was kind of holding my breath. And at that point, I hadn't had enough time to do the work that I wanted to do with my family to make sure that they felt comfortable and I hadn't come to terms with what it would really mean. So I tried to do kind of a botched job of getting ready to pass away if I were to pass away. So I did little voice memos for my kids and there wasn't much Else that I could do other than just try to hold on.
0: I would imagine the first person you told about this was your partner or was it someone else?
1: No, it was. But you know, also at the same time, it was really difficult because he was taking care of the two kids and trying to also take care of me, and he was really scared because he just had seen his partner die on the table. So I really felt like I was holding on to that. And then also trying to come to grips with the fact that I would have to leave, you know, the country that I'd called home for eight years.
0: How long did it take for you to tell them? And the reason I ask you that is that according to the research, the average time between the event and when that person tells people about the event is actually 10 years.
1: Yeah, I believe it. I totally believe it.
0: They're afraid of professional liability, losing their job, losing their marriage. So you did it pretty much right away then.
1: Well, I was everything crumbled. It wasn't like I got to stay at home and then think about when I was going to my job. You know, I had to move to a different country and there was like a huge Pollution problem going on in China at that time. And so I, I didn't really even get to see people outside. It wasn't a normal situation that I went back into. And then I ended up moving back to the US with my kids, who weren't English as a primary language speakers, and trying to be with them and help a four and a six year old become Americanized, get used to school, get used to the language, and then also find a diagnosis. While my husband was still working in China. So it was a really intense time. And I think that for me, it felt like I needed to tell him so that he wouldn't worry. And that near-death experience, I just, I came back and I just really wanted to connect as a human being. I really was like, I must be here for that reason. And nothing else felt important. So like doing work, making money, all of the things that I really cared about. Before just fell off my radar and things that I understood to be primal parts of my personality, like being curious and being adventurous, those also fell off the radar. Really, the only thing I wanted to do was connect. And my poor husband, having seen me die on the table and having had, you know, his dad and his brother pass away, the last thing he wanted to do was connect. So it took us a long time to get on the same page. But I felt it was really urgent for me to talk about my experience and share that. And then I didn't tell my kids until a few years after because I just, I didn't want to scare them. And I didn't know how to talk about it without scaring them. It's a
0: pretty heavy subject for anybody, especially for kids.
1: Well, this is the thing. I really think that if it had been something like, you know, a car crash, I think that I probably would have spoken about it sooner and more publicly, but because it was, it's a part of a heart condition that I was diagnosed with after this big heart attack. And I realized, oh my gosh, I'm never going to be able to have a day where I don't think about having a heart attack anymore. And so because this became such a part of my life and such an ongoing issue, I just didn't know how to approach it in the rear view mirror. So it couldn't be something that I said like, oh, this happened, but look, now everything is fine. We're back to normal. My story has to be this happened and it can happen again. So that's a different conversation.
0: It definitely is. What do people really need to know about these experiences and why should they not be afraid to tell the world about them?
1: That's a really good question. I think that, I think that there's such a stigma about being vulnerable in our society And we think that if you're sick, or if you touch by proxy death, that other people can become vulnerable as well. And I think that that's just part of the life process. This isn't uncovering a secret that we can hide in a different way. That's part of being alive. Being alive is being vulnerable. Being alive does mean you're going to die. Being alive does mean you are going to be sick some way or another. So I feel like it's really important to discuss that. If we are able to release some of that stigma, then we can talk about it with more acceptance and with more curiosity, and we can genuinely learn and be open-eyed and inquisitive about something that we're all going to go through anyway. So how can we make it more more enriching and a bigger part of life?
0: Speaking of the stigma, it's obviously more prominent for some people that maybe are not very open-minded, but do you think that with newer research in the past? 40 or 50 years and in the ongoing research, do you think that that stigma is lessening at all or not necessarily?
1: I think the stigma is lessening. And I think that there's a real opportunity with COVID. You know, people have had to think about about death and dying. They've had to think about illness. You know, they've had to take it personally. It's not something that's just been out there. I mean, every time you put on a mask... You're doing it because you don't want to be in that position. So you're imagining yourself in that position. You're imagining yourself getting sick. You're imagining someone that you love dying. So I think that this is a real opportunity for us to be more open-minded about what's to come anyway.
0: It's going to happen. It's going to
1: happen.
0: It's not like you can file for an exemption, right?
1: Right. And the other thing is, is I think that, you know, people like to think of this coming to terms at the end of your life, where you look back and you replay you know, all the things that you've done and all the things that you're proud of and all the things that maybe you regret. And it's like, there's an opportunity. If you think about that moment now to live your life differently, wouldn't you want to take that opportunity? Wouldn't you want that chance?
0: I agree. I don't know if everyone agrees with me.
1: but That's okay. It's not up for a vote. You just make your own decisions.
0: I definitely get it. We never talked about that before, whether you go to church or temple or wherever. But if you were to have this conversation with, let's say, your pastor, and you told them about what happened, how do you think that conversation would go?
1: You know, I have my foot in a couple of different religious doors. <laughs> and I th- I think that my experience in living and my experience in dying has just shown that for me, at least all of those doors are open at the same time. There's not one way of thinking that's right and another way that's wrong. There's none of that. The only thing that's wrong is when we impress our own human rules onto spirituality. That's the only thing where we get messed up. But when we just think, okay, you know, there's a God, God is in everything. God loves us. God wants us to make the most of this human experience that's across the board, that's for all religions. When I talk to my rabbi, or when I talk to pastors that I know, or when I talk to members of the Buddhist community, you know, it's easy for us to find that common ground. And it's, for me, it's just, this is part of my experience. You know, my near-death experience is part of my life experience. So you can talk to me about that if you're interested, if you would rather talk to me about my children's adoption or about how much I love dogs. These are all entryways into things that are important to me. I'm not very good with the small talk, so you're going to have to get one of those Mm -hmm. three subjects.
0: (laughs) Okay, so you brought up the rabbi and the pastor, for instance. Mm -hmm. Would you think that their views of the same event would be different, or would it be roughly the same?
1: Different. They have subscribed to live part of their spiritual life with a foot in the human door to make it accessible for humans. And ultimately, my experience is my experience, regardless of what, you know, what's constructed for people to understand. It just is part of me. So I don't need to worry about things that don't pertain.
0: Any other advice for people that are curious about this type of experience or just advice in general since you've been through this?
1: I was diagnosed with something called FMD, fibromuscular dysplasia. And it essentially means, you know, you can have what happened in my heart I can have artery break anywhere in my body. So they found carotid artery. They found that there was another break that could go. And if that went, then that could, then that could equate to a stroke. And I remember thinking, I don't know that I really needed that diagnosis. (laughs) <laughs> I think I was pretty busy with the heart. So I think the thing is, is what can you take from these experiences rather than, you know, just a morbid curiosity. And I don't mean morbid in a bad way, but it's a curiosity about other people and what they've experienced and what you will experience. Think about like, what is it that you would want to know? What is it that you need to know? Maybe you don't need the diagnosis. Maybe you can just say, these are the ways that I would want how I live my life to be tested so that I can really make sure that I'm taking advantage of the challenges and opportunities afforded to
0: me. I think it's a a very solid philosophy. Mary, thanks for joining us today. How can our listeners learn more about you and otherwise find you online?
1: I'm on marybergstrom.com.
0: I will put that link in the show notes as well. Thanks again. You've been listening to Closer to Venus. I'm Johnny Burke. If you enjoyed today's episode, please consider subscribing if you really liked it. Please consider leaving us a review on iTunes. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time.